I don't know if it's teasing you. It's like, am, am I going to flush? Am I? Am I? Oh, I'm going. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Hello, I'm Mark. I'm Justin. We're the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Welcome to episode 51. A little late this week, sorry. Today, we're going to talk about BCG vaccines for tuberculosis and give some updates because I'm in America this week. Man, what an update. <laughs> That's big Just news. Flipping things around. You were in America. Now I'm in America. Yeah. So you've got to catch us up on your travel story and how that shook out for you. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there's really nothing eventful to talk about. Like mm-hmm. the flight was really good, actually. <clears throat> we we went direct from Tokyo to Seattle. No connecting, nothing like that. Um, takeoff was a breeze. Koda was chill the whole time. He got a little bit fussy after we were in the air and food started going around. But I think that's just like his normal evening fussiness. Because mm-hmm. then like we were able to get him to sleep like after two hours after we took off and he slept for about five hours. It was, it was pretty nice. We had, uh, we were lucky though. We got four seats in the center of the plane all to ourselves right in front oh, of the bulkhead. That's glorious. So there was no seats pushing back into us. Nobody sharing our breasts, not, nothing. It was pretty ideal situation. Yeah. What was, was your... one of yours. Yeah, we had that on the way back. It was three seats through the middle, and we had the, the middle one free, and we actually had the, the two on the outside. But what was your travel time like door-to-door uh, kind of? Well, I guess you stayed with your mother-in-law, yeah. didn't you, for a little bit? But like the day that you were traveling, the bulk of that traveling, how long did that take? Um, yeah, so we, we left Toyama, and we drove all the way to Choshi, Chiba, which is kind of the opposite ends of Japan's middle section, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a, about a seven and a half hour drive. And that was done two days before the flight so that we could drop our dog off and spend some time with Moe's mom while while we were over there. It's a really good way to break things up if you can yeah. do that sort of trip and then have a couple yeah. of days to recuperate and then do the next leg. Yeah, we were going to just do like one night in a hotel, like drive down, spend a night in the hotel, next day fly out. Mm-hmm. And it was snowing so much in Toyama that we were kind of afraid like something might happen. So we extended the first part of that and we got an extra night before we left. And uh, I think having that buffer in between like a seven hour drive and then a nine hour flight, it, mm-hmm. it really helps to have a day of just chill. Yeah, that is good. So then when you eventually left the mother-in-law's house, say like that starts the timer, you know, mother-in-law's house to the airport, the flight, and then getting to your, uh, the condo that you're staying in. What was that duration? Do you think? Um, that, let's see, it was like a two hour drive from Choshi down to Haneda maybe a two and a half hour drive. Then we were there like three hours early. And then, yeah, it was like got on the plane, eight and a half hours in Seattle. My dad picked us up maybe a half an hour after we landed and 
that was it. Nice. So you're talking about like 15 hours or so door to door, which is good because that's like the period that you're awake in an average day. So that's doable. Yeah. Yeah. I think by the time we landed, it would have been like 2 a.m. for us. Mm -hmm. So we were tired and neither me me or Moe slept on the plane, really. I think both of us each got like an hour. Yeah. And uh, but we were okay. I was just happy that Coda got some sleep. Yeah, he's the one who can't control that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's the main thing. Um, that's crucial. I've always thought when you travel, once you pass like 16 hours of continuous travel, then mm. you're into like, well, I should be going to bed now, but I'm forging ahead. And yeah. that's when it really starts to suck. And we always have to do like a flight to Tokyo. Then we arrive at some big airport in the US. And then we have to do another flight to get closer to yeah. Kentucky with layovers in between. So we're lucky to do it in 24 hours or less. And right. I think our door to door, like constant traveling time was like 25 hours and it just starts to really crush you eventually. And wear <laughs> yeah. on you. But if you guys got out 16 or less, then that's beautiful. Oh yeah. Easily 16 or less. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so much easier. I think it helps that we have her mom there that we can kind of have like a stop in between. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> really helps break things up a bit. Yeah, that's good. Well, uh, how's America life treating you so far? It's okay. It's always a little bit shocking coming back here after Mm -hmm. being in Japan for a while. And like, (laughs) it's funny, like I'm I'm a fairly big guy, but, and in Japan, it's, it's very obvious that I'm a big guy. But when I come Mm -hmm. back to America, I'm always like, Oh, I feel so, I feel so small here. (laughs) Yeah. Like you just walk around and you're like, Oh man, I'm, I'm okay. (laughs) Like you start to feel bad about yourself in Japan, but just come to America and you feel fine. (laughs) You're great. It's all relative. Um, I noticed, uh, this was a weird thing, but I had been in Japan for a a stretch, you know, and got acclimatized. And then I went back to the U S for the first time in a while and I uh, landed in the Dallas airport, Dallas, Texas. Oh. And I remember like walking through the terminal as soon as I was in America, j- had just touched down. And I saw it was probably like 10 people sitting on a, a row of seats all side by side. And they were all massive. I mean, they were all like <laughs> 250, 300 pounders, just all in a row, 10 of them. And in my mind, I was like, what kind of club or organization are these people a part of? Like, and they're all (laughs) traveling somewhere together. Like if they were all six foot eight, I would have thought, Oh, it's a basketball team, but I couldn't figure out like what sort of group that this like array of men and women would have been part of. And then I realized, Oh, they're just 10 Americans. Oh, I see. They're just like 10 (laughs) random people. But in my mind, I had like this five second period where I was just trying to figure like, why would they be, what could they be part of? And why would they be going on such a field trip through the airport? But they were (laughs) not connected to each other at all. It was just the size threw me for a loop. It's pretty amazing. It's, it's, it's really shocking here. And you don't realize that when you live here, like it's really easy to just kind of, live and not see how it is until you leave and then come back and you're like, wow, this food is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy there. And it is, it's the reverse, you know, when people that I know come to Japan, they're like, so everyone's in shape. 
how does this happen? (laughs) What is going on? Yeah. Yeah. Since we did it back, like Moe has been like trying to coordinate with different people to meet up and they're like, all right, well, what do you guys want to eat? And she's just been telling them like, Mark wants to eat American food. And they're like, they're like, what does that mean? Like hot hot dogs all day? (laughs) Hot dogs, corn dogs, chili dogs. Yeah, so so far I've had I've had ribs, I've had pulled pork, I've had chili, I've had cornbread. It's been great. <laughs> it all sounds good. Yeah. Um, I wrote once in the paper that um, I'm an American, so like all good Americans, I eat Mexican and Italian, and like that's <laughs> that's American food, baby. So right. when I go to the U.S., that's what I'm in the market for. We did go to Olive Garden. Oh yeah, I saw pictures of that. Congratulations. That's my, my dad's favorite restaurant and we had <laughs> to take him there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'd like an Olive Garden. I'm not a big Olive Garden fan, but if they plopped one down in the neighborhood, I'd be happy. I'd go uh, there. I I feel the same way about Olive Garden as I do about Caesarea. Yeah. Oh, it's right in the wheelhouse of Caesarea. That's true. Yeah. 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 I feel like if you gave me a plate of each and asked me to tell you which one was which, I'd be like, yeah, okay, they're the same. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, I've always heard people make fun of Olive Garden, and we went to Olive Garden a few months ago when we were in Kentucky, mm. and I just had some, like, regular-ass spaghetti while I was there, you know, just, like, <laughs> give me the regular spaghetti with something on the side, I can't remember. But I was eating it, and I was like, my spaghetti is better than this spaghetti. How could it yeah. be possible? Yeah. You're an Italian restaurant, like one of the major ones. How can I just, and I'm not good at cooking at all, but how can I whip up better spaghetti? And then my wife said the same thing. Like, this is like, what is going on at Olive Garden? Yeah. This is crazy. I think they put most of their money into designing the interior because it does look pretty decent inside an Olive Garden. But, it does uh, look nice. Yeah, And I food. think I think their big selling point is the endless soup, salad, breadstick. Thing that yeah. they have. Yeah. And I think that's the major draw. Yeah, for sure. But when it comes down to the taste test, I mean, give me Fazoli's. I don't know if that's in your <laughs> neck of the woods. Is, no. <laughs> Fazoli's is like a stripped down, even like fast foodier version of Olive Garden, but I think it's better. It's just, oh. I don't know what's going on at the OG. Nice. But, um, you know, good luck to them. And yeah. Uh, yeah. we'll still accept them as a sponsor. Should they approach us? And speaking of, how's the Freed? Oh, Freed's doing really well. Um, God, can't say enough about the Freed. Oh, here's something else. Uh, One of my friends uh, just had a kid a a few days ago. And, um, you know, he needed to upgrade his car for the first ever kid. So we had talked about it. And, uh, you know, a month ago, we were discussing it on the phone, like different car options. And then the other day he was like, hey, buddy, come over and check out my new free. Wow. So word of mouth is strong. And uh, there's another good. freed in the neighborhood now. So Good job. Really you should get some kickbacks that. from that. I really should. <laughs> they should list me on their forms or something like, how did you hear about the freed? Was it Justin? <laughs> and they should throw me a percentage. But uh, right. yeah, I love seeing other freeds out there. I'm a big fan. Nice. Nice. We were thinking about if we ever upgrade cars, like Freed would be definitely in our list. Oh, good, good, good. It's such a good mid-sized van. Not to go on and on about the Freed again. (laughs) 
but it's Japan. You can't take a big car anywhere. It's like half the parking spaces are off limits. Half the roads you wouldn't dare go down yeah. in a massive car. So yeah. get something a little more compact, but still with six or seven seats. You're looking yeah. at a Honda Freed, my friend. That's what you yep. need. Nice. All, All right. right. Well, that's the Freed update. Um, <laughs> How about Nico? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, he rides in the Freed sometimes. Um, we did this. We jumped the gun a little bit, but we had his first birthday party a couple of days ago here at the house. That's right. Sorry and to miss that. Yeah. No, yeah. It was uh, strange that you guys and Coda weren't there as like lifelong companions, but um, it was, uh, we had a good showing. There were, at the end, there were eight kids, including Nico. Eight wow. kids came over and they're all older. I think um, age ranges were like maybe a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and then a couple of eight-year-olds, a 12-year-old, you know, my friends with slightly mm. older kids. All of nice. them were mixed. All the kids at the party were mixed, come to think of it. Um, That's cool. Yeah. And then uh, the thing I was excited about was we finished Nico's room and we've got his chalkboard wall up, but it hadn't been used yet. So we turned the kids loose on the chalkboard wall and mm. uh, all of them drew a little bit. And then three of them in particular, like really orchestrated the whole wall to be like for Nico's birthday and just decorated the whole thing top to bottom with wow. like pictures of his toys and you know, like very sweet things written on there, like Nico's room and the year and, you know, all this like very cute and really, you know how Japanese uh, pictures when kids draw pictures are really, really cute. You know, like everything mm. is a smiley face and everything right. looks really happy. It's all that kind of stuff. Nice. So that was uh, actually very heartwarming and touching. Not only did the kids draw on it, but they thought about the baby and then like sort of made all the, the artwork curated for him, which was a very sweet little surprise. Right. Um, That's pretty sweet. Other than that, uh, we bought a Costco cake. First time ever getting the Whoa, uh, huge sheet cake. sheet cake. Yeah. From Costco. Wow. How and sweet was that thing? Man, it was, it was sweet in every <laughs> meaning of the word. It was just, it's also the most bang for your buck cake wise in Japan. Uh, um, it's very reminiscent of the Costco pizza, which has yeah. gone up in price in the last couple of years, but uh, it's still under 2,000 yen right now. Yeah. And you go to Pizza Hut or Domino's in Japan, and it's like 3,500 yen, 4,000 yen for yeah. less than half the pizza and less than half the deliciousness. So yeah. Costco pizza was a game changer for pizza in this area. And I think the Costco cake is similar because if you go to a regular like um, Chateau Days or whatever it's called, you know, you'll pay a, you pay quite a bit. It's a nice looking little cake. But uh, right. the Costco sheet cake was like under 2,500 and it will feed an army of party attendees with some left over. So we've nice. been eating cake after every meal for two days now. It's just unlimited <laughs> cake over here. And That's it's delicious. Crazy. Yeah, it's it's heavy as anything. It's just like a wonderful cake experience. So That's I don't crazy. know how other cake places stay in business, frankly. I mean, the Costco cake is well, redefining cake. It's, it's way too sweet. It's way too sweet. That's part of the part of the issue. Yeah. But um, it's also uh, my wife has talked about this before in years past that American cakes and the Costco cakes in Japan included, uh, they're very colorful. And in general, oh, yeah. uh, I think in Japan, they're suspicious of like, I'm not going to eat this bright blue thing. Like what 
there must be yeah. a lot of chemicals in whatever this is, but the the icing or frosting or whatever on the Costco cake is really bright and colorful and probably off-putting to a lot of the shoppers here in Japan. Um, yeah. But, oh, those eight kids ate it all up. They loved it yesterday. I had similar American cake here the other day uh-huh. and was shocked at how sweet it was. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is shocking. That's the right word for it. Yeah. Um, it's just such a good, I mean, value for money. It's it's unbeatable. Okay. Did, did Nico have some of that cake? No, Nico got his own special cake with stuff that he's eaten before, like okay. strawberries and then some kind of uh, uh, just basically like layers of kind of breading and then a whipped cream that's not oh, nice. full on sweet whipped cream. But yeah, he had his own little cake and it's good for the kid to have one that he can just dive into with both his hands and rip it apart. Oh, you just let him kind of go to town on it then. Yeah, it was made, uh, I don't know, it, it was <clears> like... The size you could hold it in your hand as an adult, it was like that small, okay. and so he um, he just picked it apart with his hands and ate pieces off of it and had a good time. Messed up, you know, got a messy uh, face, messy hands, threw some on the floor. Uh, I would so, love to see Coda like that. Yeah, yeah, you got to do that for sure for his birthday. That's a rite of passage. Okay, tell me where to get it or how to. Yeah. Make it. <laughs> you have to ask my wife to whip one up. That's the only thing I know. Gotcha, but um. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was fun. Actually, I passed the cake in Costco about two weeks ago, and as I passed that cake, I thought we should have a birthday party for Nico so that I can <laughs> buy this huge cake, and that's what spawned the whole discussion and the party itself. But it was a really good time. It was also one of the first kind of things that we've done in the COVID era in terms of having people over at to right. that degree. Yeah, that's a pretty so, big party. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Anyway, uh, the only other update leads right into the segment, so I'm going to just cap with that. But Nico got his, uh, well, his most recent round of vaccines, and one of those vaccines was the dreaded BCG. Mm. And I guess we can pause there and head over to uh, Discovery Segment Zone. Oh, man, we need some dramatic music now. I'm not prepared for this. You're throwing me off. (laughs) Brought to you by the Discovery Channel. Just another another sponsored segment on the channel. Sponsors all over the place. (laughs) All over the place. Well, um, Coda got the the BCG, right? And I guess I should say the the BCG vaccine is uh, to protect against Mm. uh, tuberculosis. Yeah. And it's the one that looks like a domino when you get the shot. It's like a a nine needle kind of plasticky device. And they they prod the kid with it once and then they lower it down a couple centimeters and prod them again. So it ends up being like 18 little pinpricks all in the same zone. And when did Cody get that? He got his about six months, I think. Mm. That's yeah, right. I remember, in the... I remember asking you guys about it when you were in America, and you I think you had no idea about it at the time. Yeah. We had the vaccines, like a, a big schedule of vaccines we had to do, but we were going to America between Nico's yeah. ages of like six to ten months. Yeah. And a lot of them are recommended for that that period. Uh, so we pushed a lot of vaccines as early as we could and got them before we left Japan. And then we pushed the other vaccines as late as we could uh, within mm. the like recommended windows of time. So 
before we left and right after we got back, there were a lot of vaccine appointments. Uh, BCG was one that they say should be administered before the first birthday, um, and we're mm. just in under the wire. But I think the recommendation is generally uh, from six months on in Japan. Mm. Anyway, it, it varies all over the place. But uh, okay. yeah, Koda seems like he was in there early, uh, or yep. is, you know, not too early, but just at the beginning of the window. Nico yep. was bringing up the rear. Um, How's so, he doing? Yeah, he's fine. I was going to ask how Koda handled the BCG. Well, the actual shot, he handled it like. Every other shot, mm-hmm. absolute crying and agony. Yeah, Nico too. And then, and then it was fine, like a couple minutes later. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he healed up pretty normally, I think. And we thought it was getting red at one point, but then it just cleared up and the doctor said it was looking great. So everything's good at this point. That's good. They do give you usually a pamphlet and there will be pictures up on the wall of the um, the clinic mm. office or the pediatrician's office that show what the uh, the injection site should look like over time so that you know, you know, whether or not to be worried or how worried you should be. Yeah. I was surprised um, at how long it lasts. Uh, like the, mm. the poster that was up on the wall, I took a picture of. I'm looking at it now and it says, this is what it'll look like after 10 days. And it's like 18 sort of red dots, you know, in in that domino pattern. And then after three weeks, the dots are actually more pronounced Mm. and you can very clearly see all 18 dots. Then after six weeks, it's like the dots are a little bit inflamed and the skin around them is red. So it gets even worse. And then after four months, it's basically gone away, but you can still see the remnants of the the little red dots. Mm. So it's something you'll have to you know, kind of see change for weeks and even months on end. And then hopefully after four months, it's down to um, a minimum. Although, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've seen the scars of the BCG on people, even yeah. in their adulthood. And it usually goes away or becomes almost not noticeable, but yeah. I've seen it on people, you know, just that yeah. one vaccine one day, and it, it's around for years and years. It's still very obvious on CODA. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and this think- is four months yeah nico's just less than a week in and it basically is not showing at all but it is one of those things that Mm. it gets worse as time goes by before it gets better right but um i personally had a a little amount of skepticism about the bcg going in and i don't know if you had any of these feelings but Hmm. mine revolved around a couple of things one is that it's semi-permanently scarring you know so It seems like a big thing that's happening. And then two is that it's not done in the U.S. and generally never has been done in the U.S. Mm. So then in the back of my mind, and this is all without any information, uh, but just my kind of knee-jerk reaction was like, is this some overly cautious thing that maybe Japan has hung on to for too long or whatever? And I've, I should preempt all this by saying I totally changed my mind on all of it. And I'm you know, happy and confident with the vaccine now that I've mm. looked it up more. But at the I time, see. I was like, I don't know. Let's let's figure this out. And can't they do the injection somewhere other than the shoulder that's so visible? And I had all right. these kind of qualms with it. But did you have any similar qualms when you were leading up to the BCG? Yeah, I was a little... I was surprised that it was one of those kind of shots that left like a scarring. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's... Yeah, like you said, like nobody in America gets this. So, like, why did they do it? Yeah, but you do a little research, and then you're like, "Oh, okay. Well, it kind of makes sense." 
And that's what I launched into uh, in the last couple of weeks was a lot of research on this. And mm. not only did I not know about tuberculosis really, or I guess not only did I not know about the BCG, but I didn't know about tuberculosis either. Um, one thing that surprised me was that tuberculosis uh, most years is the the leading uh, killer among infectious diseases worldwide. Um, mm. It's only been... Uh, surpassed in the last couple of years, of course, by COVID-19. But hmm. in in general, uh, tuberculosis is still worldwide the, the number one sort of like infectious bacterial killer. And um, the reason that we don't hear about it in the U.S. is that it just, for like mysterious reasons, it doesn't affect people in the U.S. that much. And uh, hmm. it's very, very prominent in other areas of the world. And so, you know, they're doing all they can to vaccinate in some areas. But in the U.S., it's like, eh, what's the big deal? doesn't matter. Um, I found this little bit of uh, uh, research here. This is actually just lifted off the Wikipedia page, but it really clearly summarizes the numbers. It says um, in 2018, one quarter of the world's population was thought to have a latent infection of TB. And I should say a latent infection is just the bacteria is present in the body, but it doesn't uh, turn into what's called active TB. It doesn't express itself or actually make you sick. It's just there. Um, <laughs> two uh, billion new, people. <laughs> yeah, two billion. Yeah. Um, new infections occur in about 1% of the population each year. In 2020, an estimated 10 million people developed active TB, resulting in 1.5 million deaths making it the second leading cause of death from an infectious disease after COVID-19. Uh, now, the next part that I'm going to read is specifically about like why it's so like not considered important in America, but it is elsewhere. It says about 80% of people in many Asian and African countries test positive, while 5 to 10% of people in the United States population test positive via the tuberculin test. And that test is just to see if you have the the bacteria in your body. So um, I think it's like 90% of the people who have that bacteria, it's a, a latent TB and never hmm. expresses itself. So um, if you were to, according to this, if you were to test people in, you know, certain Asian and African countries, like 80% of them would have it, whereas only 5 to 10% of the people in the U.S. would have it at all. And then most likely it wouldn't express itself. So is that a result of them getting it when they're like infants and babies? Um, yeah, it's uh, probably uh, they being young is actually something that makes you more susceptible to uh, getting the the disease. So um, that's why they um, they recommend you get the vaccine as young as possible. Um, in Japan, it used to be even earlier than six months they would do it, but then they found some other issues that would pop up uh, when you got it too young. So then they, they changed their recommendation to six months to a year is the window. So uh, being young makes you a little more susceptible. And but um, it, it just, everybody gets it in certain regions of the world. Is this like kind of like a race related thing or is this just regional? Like do they sample like different ethnicities in each group? Yeah, there have been um, a lot of like counter-indicating bits of research about this, and that's what leads it to be somewhat controversial because it's like you'll have, you know, uh, certain areas of the world they'll say like, "Oh, the vaccine was so effective," and then other areas they're like, "The vaccine didn't do anything here," you know, and so right. uh, that 
point that leads like a conspiracy minded person to sort of think like, oh, there's something fishy going on. But there are mm-hmm. so many variables in terms of the like environment uh, that the people live in. Uh, there's the, you know, the race uh, of the people there. Mm-hmm. There might be some like genetic thing that's making our certain race more or less predisposed or whatever. There's also there's other bacteria in certain areas of the world. And say, mm-hmm. if you uh, have encountered that bacteria, maybe it weakens you to uh, then catch TB. Or if you've encountered a certain type of bacteria, maybe that bacteria is similar to TB. So it actually makes you stronger because you've encountered that other type of bacteria. So there's like all these environmental things, there's ethnicity things. And, um, you know, Uh, Something like HIV, if there's a lot of HIV in that area, then obviously people are going to be a lot more adversely affected by TB. So there's just so many variables. But Mm. I think uh, there was an interesting bit of research specifically about race uh, because they were testing. There there are um, different rates of efficacy of the vaccine in the UK and in India, for example. In India, it's generally thought to not be effective, but in the UK, it's like 60 to 70% effective, the uh, the BCG vaccine. So then oh. they were trying to zero in and identify race. So they ended up um, uh, testing specifically some children of Indian heritage who were living in the UK. And they found that the vaccine was as effective with them as it was for the general UK population or very nearly as effective. Mm. So it tends to, as time goes by, they think it's less to do with race and actually more to do with environment and other bacteria you may be coming into contact with. And things like climate and humidity Mm. and all of that sort of stuff may affect how TB expresses Mm. itself. Hmm. Interesting. But um, Japan certainly has higher rates of tuberculosis, not like greatly higher, but it's higher markedly two to three times as high as in the United States. And Japan deems the vaccine to still be valuable in that way. So um, Japan keeps on giving it. I was also concerned about the shoulder thing. Like, why would you put it in the shoulder, which is anything you wear like a tank top or sleeveless shirt or something, you're going to see this like massive scar. Um, And uh, there's research out there that says that's just the best place to do it. When they've tried it in other areas, they get like lower, slightly lower efficacy so in general, they always try to give it in the deltoid. And then it also uh, makes it really easy to identify whether people have had it or they hadn't because everyone sort of knows That's where to true. look for it and that sort of thing. So uh, there's even a reason for that. And uh, I was my my concerns were proven to be unfounded once again. <laughs> and uh, I thought at first, like, can you just do it on his butt or something? But then I, I backed off that idea as I read more about it. <laughs> Just right above the butt in the middle of the small of the back. Yeah, exactly. Put it on his Mongolian spot and let's just concentrate all of his stuff right there. Uh, so one other thing that um, I wanted to mention is uh, uh, health issues aside, like uh, if you don't get the vaccine, you're putting your kid at risk. And also tuberculosis is on the rise in the world. Hmm. Um for a few reasons. Uh, one is potentially climate change. Um, you know, that's been linked because environmental factors play a part. Another mm-hmm. thing is that when COVID came about, funding for tuberculosis treatments actually decreased. So oh. uh, there's just less money going toward it because there was a deadlier infectious disease out there to put money toward. So, yeah. uh, and then also supply chain issues and so on and so forth. So actually, tuberculosis 
had been decreasing year after year after year after year for a long, long time. And only in 2021 did the numbers start to pick up again. So we are at a slightly greater risk worldwide uh, than we were just a few years ago. And that should be reason enough to get the kid vaccinated, I would say. But beyond that, my wife pointed out that um, if you said like, no, I'm not going to get this vaccine and you like really stood pat and said, I'm not doing it. Then when it comes time for your kid to like travel or apply for some type of visa or something, they're going to want to know, has he had all of his vaccinations? And then it's probably going to be an impediment when that time comes. Uh, My wife was thinking about that because she was a green card holder for a while and we had to do all of her immigration paperwork for the U.S. And they wanted to know, have you had all of your vaccinations? And it was this massive list that she had to go through. Uh, Some of those vaccinations she didn't have records of actually getting though uh, her parents said, yeah, you got that. And she assumed she got it, but they just didn't have the record. So my Mm -hmm. wife had to get re-vaccinated on a lot of things before we moved to the U.S. actually. Oh, interesting. Um, So then uh, particularly in uh, certain areas of the world like Southeast Asia and Africa, it's highly likely that there would be like BCG requirements to get in where tuberculosis is a bigger deal. Hmm. So it would it seems like it would be limiting beyond health just in terms of travel and that sort of thing in the future. So all of this eventually won me around to um, just doing the BCG as advised, no right. holds barred, just take them in and, and get it done. And well, it's not, we did. it's not optional, is it? Uh, it's not optional, but I think you can, uh, it's kind of like in the US where you need a certain roster of vaccines, but then if you're willing to jump oh. through some hoops, you can get out of them. So I, I think you can back out of the BCG in Japan, mm-hmm. um, but then it turns into you know other hurdles that you'll have to deal right. with. I don't I don't know about those, but I uh, that's the impression that I got. So anyhow, uh, it was interesting for me to learn about this stuff. I'm just going over my notes here to see if I have anything uh, anything else that I wanted to say. Oh yeah, no, just one like final crazy stat about the BCG is. Um, it's been used and basically the same for over a hundred years. It was first used hmm. clinically in 1921. So we're just coming up on the 102nd anniversary of the BCG being out there. And hmm. uh, it's, um, it's always been around. It's always been used. And so it doesn't mutate like the flu or COVID. I think um, they use uh, a type of this, bacteria that um, is generally found in cows. They use a a bovine version of the bacteria. Mm. And that type uh, doesn't uh, make humans sick generally, but it's close enough to the human version that your immune system develops the response to it. So somehow um, tuberculosis, the the specific uh, bacterium that causes it, hasn't... uh, hasn't jumped over that gap, but there are actually drug resistant uh, forms of tuberculosis that are also increasing in the last couple of years. So, um, you know, now we may be at that just jumping off points where it does start to get worse and get a bit more drug resistant. It's just amazing to me that for one, you have a vaccine that works for a hundred years without much change, but then Mm. two, it also points to the fact that you haven't been able to come up with a better vaccine Right. And I think that that's a problem 
uh, in the world these days is that um, we've got this one that kind of works in some areas and then other areas they say it doesn't work at all. Uh, but uh, they're saying that like part of the trouble with fighting tuberculosis is that there's not a vaccine that just eradicates it or there's not a vaccine to give to adults, for example, that's very mm-hmm. um, efficacious because the, the BCG is generally just given to children and there aren't good results for giving it to anyone um, who's in their teenage years or over 20. So um, I think that's what keeps tuberculosis kicking around is that we've just got this one way of treating it and uh, it's only like halfway where it should be. Right. But anyway, better to be halfway safe than not at all safe. So um, definitely everybody just go get the BCG, especially if you're in this area of the world, that being Mm. Southeastern Asia. So then we be in kind of a position of worry. Uh, you mean you and I having no yeah. vaccination? I guess so. Um, there are a lot of uh, factors that make you more at risk, and we don't do a lot of those things. Like if you're a smoker, you're more at risk. Mm. Um, it's uh, very easily uh, can fatally you know, affect people uh, with HIV. Um, And then also, if you look at all the research from around the world, it just affects like poor countries and areas with uh, uh, like even within one country, if there are poorer populations, they're more adversely affected by tuberculosis. So Hmm. I would imagine that um, being in, you know, pretty wealthy Japan and having enough resources ourselves, then we could not have to worry too much about it. Uh, but, um, still, I guess we're at slightly higher risk than, um, than the rest of the country. Maybe I also read that, uh, the BCG vaccine, uh, according to some research has proven to only be effective up until you're 15 years old. Then it's like its effectiveness is reduced by half. And then by about 20 years old, it's, uh, thought to be not effective at all. So (laughs) it only prevents you for, uh, from getting it as a child but there was one bit of research done with native Americans and they found some efficacy up until the age of 60. So this is the kind of like ranges and wildly varying results that you get just depending on the, the research that you happen to be reading about it. Well, it sounds like it prevents a lot of that, maybe like latent TB Mm. that stick around and then help it grow when you're older. So if you don't get that when you're younger, Mm. it helps you out when you're older. And that's probably, I, I'd assume that's what they're thinking. Yeah, that is uh, something that I came across in reading about it, uh, that very similar to coronavirus, like, you know, people got the COVID vaccine and they thought, well, I'll never get COVID now, but then everybody just got COVID anyway. (laughs) But the thing is, eventually COVID became a disease of the unvaccinated. You know, you would be vaccinated and get it and have like a cold for a short period of time. You're unvaccinated and you get it and it's horrible. And so uh, the BCG has that sort of like two layers of effectiveness similarly. So it does help you not get um, tuberculosis to a certain degree. And depending on the research that you read, it's maybe between like 25 and 50% effective at just totally warding off contraction of the disease. But Mm -hmm. then it's something like over 70% effective. um, If you have latent TB, it's over 70% effective uh, keeping mm. that from turning into active TB. Gotcha. So uh, pretty much the same mold as the the COVID-19 vaccines that we've had kicking around for the last couple of years. But anyway, it's um, 
it's the same as anything else. It's like, it's all a numbers game. And even though the jury's out on exactly like how or why it's more and less effective in different areas of the world and for different populations, there is some effectiveness that's shown across the board. It's just Mm. an issue of, well, is it 20%? Is it 70% or whatever? (laughs) And it's like, yeah, if I could reduce my chance of having a car accident by 20%, I would do whatever that thing is, you know, just give me the 20%. I'm happy with that. Um, so I, um, I go right along with the numbers as best I can. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, uh, the shot itself, uh, you know, I was worried that it would be tender or whatever, but it's actually doesn't get too sore. They told me, they said, yeah, don't even worry about avoiding his arm because his arm will feel fine. Yeah. Um, I think they just said like, be careful in the bath for like a day or two or something, maybe even mm -hmm. a week, Mm -hmm. but Coda never really seemed to notice it. I would bump it by accident. (laughs) Yeah just unfazed yeah we i remember changing nico's clothes within the first day or two and he didn't say anything at all about it you know while you're trying to get his arm out of his sleeve you touch it and it yeah no big deal yeah because it's not like a full-on injection i think it's more just like the surface like scraping kind of injection Mm -hmm. so they just kind of poke in a little bit get the because they brush on the fluid Mm the fluid's not actually in the needles so they'll brush it on and then they'll just stamp these needles to kind of get that fluid under the skin just a bit Mm -hmm. and then that's all really so once that's all healed up it's like a really superficial scar yeah um that is interesting about the administration of it because i knew it was like a a set of needles and uh, I thought, is this a massive plunger? And then like yeah. push one huge button and all like nine needles shoot out of it. But right. they were totally stationary. And then there's mm. like a, a pla- they're kind of encased in plastic. And I, I would say that the points of the needle and the the lower lip of the plastic are at exactly the same level. Mm. So then if, if you just push it against the skin, it might go in, you know, a millimeter or something. And yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the extent of it. So it's not a traumatizing uh, injection in that way. No, I think even in Japan, they even call it like the stamp injection. Like, yeah, something. I don't know the Japanese term, but I remember Moe saying that before. Yeah, I think the word honko gets involved somewhere. Yeah, like the name something. stamp. There's some kind of honko thing that goes around. Uh, yeah, and that's what it felt like. They just sort of lightly press it against the skin. It gives you a tiny little jab and it seemed yeah. to be less painful than the others that have to go, you know, subcutaneous or whatever it's called. All right. Well, Good. that's the BCG report. Yeah. Glad he got through it. All right. And I guess we can head over to Japati. Let's take a seat on the Japati. Um, <laughs> With a washlet, please. Oh my yeah. God. You know, being in America, like the weirdest things, like, kind of drive you crazy Uh but like toilets man every time like toilets here are gross yeah if they are clean clean your bathroom people and get a goddamn washlet yeah it's (laughs) it's a third world toilet situation in america let's say second world it's a second world toilet situation second second world toilet because then you sometimes you'll flush it and the water just kind of like i don't know if it's teasing you it's like (laughs) yep Am I going to flush? Am I? Am I? Oh, I'm going. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. (laughs) Terrible. Uh, I I know when I've overstayed my welcome, the water bashfully backs out of the toilet. 
that I sent this around to my uh, a couple like a little chat that I'm involved in with some of my friends. I was like, would you prefer the Japanese model of bathroom where it's a cold bathroom but with a heated toilet seat and a bidet? Or the American model where it's a warm, nice, comfortable bathroom, cold toilet seat, and no bidet function whatsoever? Give me the Japanese model 10 out of 10 times. Like, I, I much 100%. prefer yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the heated toilet seat really makes up a lot of ground for the cold It really room. does. It really yeah. does. I can add clothes and be comfortable sitting on that seat. Exactly. You can just open your butt flap on your <laughs> adult footy pajamas and stay as warm as you'd ever want to be. Um, Dude, I saw some at Target the other day. I almost oh picked God. them up. It That's was like cool. a full adult onesie. <laughs> With a butt flap and buttons and everything? I, I didn't see the back. <laughs> okay, you may have to modify it then yourself. Pop right. some buttons on. Uh, yeah, it, it's crazy. Well, our our Japanese of the day relates to this. It's a very simple one. Okay. It's the word oshiko. You, you probably know this word. Mm. It's oshi, and then the very small tsu to indicate a little, a little pause or a little stop here, and then a ko. So it's oshiko, mm. and it means... P, mm. aka urine, and it's what they'll use, uh, you know, for for babies. Uh, I was just at the um, the Hoikuen today, the daycare, and they said that uh, Nico had, you know, peed whilst being changed, so his diaper mm. mat got wet. They're telling me I need to, oh. you know, wash it and bring in another one, and um, they were using the word oshiko, and I thought that was uh, some good vocabulary. Uh, if you want to make it a verb, like a lot of things in Japanese, you just put suru at the end, which means to do. So doing pee, um, and it's oshiko suru to pee. Nice. Anyhow, that was Japanese of the day. And how about some, my question for you? Is, yes, McQuiffy. Uh, I wanted to ask you, mm. Mark Harris, the uh, early to bed, early to rise master, keeper mm. of the schedule, habitually on time. What <laughs> is your advice for keeping that tight, tight Mark Harris schedule? Because there's a uh, lot to be concerned with. You got to get yourself up and dressed and showered or whatever. You got to get a kid there. Um, how are you on yeah. time with your kid? Well, I kind of live my life with the mindset that um, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I'm always prepared ahead of time. And mm -hmm. I'm always starting earlier than I think I need to. Mm. And with a kid, I find that that needs to be even earlier. So if I have like, like for getting ready for traveling and all this stuff, like, you think you like have to feed him and then, okay, well, after you feed him, you have to change a diaper and then you got to pack his bag and you got to get all his toys in there. And all this stuff counts as time and little chunks. Right. Mm -hmm. So I always try to compartmentalize this stuff and think like, all right, well, if each one of these things is like a 15 minute chunk, then I got to have four of these just for him. Then I've got to have my time and this. So I try to plan out before I go somewhere, like, how many, how much of this time do I actually need? Yeah. And then I'll start, I'll start like that. So then 
it's it's less stressful when you're doing it. That's very wise. And I think your 15 minute chunks are, are good that that's maybe like the smallest chunk that you use to plan. Yeah. I don't know if that's actually what you do, but like uh, to drive to his daycare, it's probably takes like seven or eight minutes actually, but mm. who's to say what kind of traffic and lights and snow and all that sort of right. stuff. It could easily become a 20 minute drive and then you're way behind schedule suddenly. So I think right. I tend to do that with everything. I always think, Oh, the drive what seven, eight minutes. And then, Oh yeah, I can change a diaper. What three minutes or whatever. You know? and then <laughs> I've got my estimated time at taking like 25 minutes when it really takes an hour and a half. And um, I don't have any leeway and that leads to rushing all the time. Right. So, I need to um, build in that sort of uh, buffer zone onto every little step of the the equation, I think. I think life happens mostly in a buffer zone. Like all of the stuff that we do takes very little time, actually. Mm -hmm. But it's all that in-between time that actually fills it out pretty well. Yeah. So true. All right. Well, asked and answered. That's how Mark does it, ladies and gentlemen. I should say, I should go back and, and say, though, it also helps that to have somebody like helping who's also really on time. Mm-hmm. So like I'm always like always on time as well. Yeah. My wife and I are both the opposite and fighting it all the time. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to come from. We need some <laughs> external motivation, I think, or we need mm. to buy a communal house that we all live in. I just need direction is what I need, basically. Okay. We'll take the top floor. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. We can partition off my house. We can do a home share situation where we're back and forth to Toyama. Finally offered. (laughs) You've been angling for this house share situation for years. Just realizing. Uh, Before you even had it. (laughs) Wow. Uh, How about them dad jokes? Okie doke. I got two. I got two as well. Um, you, please do the honors. Okay. My first one is a question answer joke. Mm-hmm. What's made of leather and sounds like a sneeze? <laughs> Hold on. What's made of leather and sounds like a sneeze? Uh, I don't know. What is it? A shoe. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I thought, you know what crossed my mind was Jimmy Chu, the designer. I think that's his name. Is that wow, that's a very specific joke. Yeah, yeah, way too specific. I didn't know if you'd go all fashionista on me. No. So I skipped it. No. All right. Mine says, I had planned to start a new diet, but I just have way too much on my plate right now. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, sounds like you're in America. Yeah, yep. All right. <clears throat> so the doctor handed me a cup and said, urinate. I said, thanks. I thought it was a six out of 10 at best. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. That's a very direct doctor you're dealing with. By the way. <laughs> no small talk. No one small word talk. commands. <laughs> um, all right. My last one here says, um, did you hear about the chameleon who couldn't change color? He had a reptile dysfunction. <laughs> That's nice. I suppose. Very nice. Nice 
nice way to close it out. Is that is that me today? Uh, if you like, yeah. I'd like. Thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at JPops Podcast or by email at info at the Talk to you next time. Pizza time.